historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Welcome to the Inside Israel podcast. War has erupted again and taken over much of our lives. Although Israelis are used to war, we look on with total empathy. In Ukraine, President Vladimir Zelensky was obviously frustrated and angry. He reached out to a distant audience and demanded action. Staying in front of the cameras, he said, On the first day of the war, Uman was brutally bombed. This is where hundreds of thousands of Jews come every year to pray. For those not familiar, Uman is the burial place of Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, the founder of the Breslev Hasidic sect. He was the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidic Judaism. Nachman was a charismatic Jewish mystic who believed that the holiday of Rosh Hashanah is not only of renewal, but also of great times to come. Hence, tens of thousands of Hasidic Jews literally make a pilgrimage to Uman every Rosh Hashanah. Zelensky continued his plea and said, Then they bombed Babiyar, where hundreds of thousands of Jews were executed. Babiyar is a place where almost 34,000 Jews were murdered by the Nazis in September of 1941, during the same holiday of Rosh Hashanah. And now, Zelensky continued, addressing all the Jews of the world, don't you see why this is happening? That is why it is very important that millions of Jews around the world do not remain silent right now. Nazism is born of silence. Zelensky's message was aimed at U.S. Jewry, but mainly to the powerful Jewish state, Israel, the one that didn't exist during World War II. The same Israel that metaphorically engraved on her flag the idea that never again will Jews be taken to the slaughter. Now, Zelensky wasn't totally accurate. The bomb that fell in Uman landed miles from the grave of Rabbi Nachman of Breslev. And the Babiyar Memorial wasn't damaged at all. To be fair, Zelensky was told that Babiyar Memorial was bombed while he was live on TV, and the Ukrainian authorities probably did honestly believe the memorial was damaged. Nevertheless, he sees his people, including Ukrainian Jews, facing a slaughter, and he himself is at a great risk of death. For Zelensky, this is an interesting turn of events. The Ukrainian president has never been outspoken about his Jewish identity. Zelensky never hid his Jewish identity, but he never called attention to it either. At a ceremony last year in Babi Yar, Zelensky did not mention the fact that some of his own relatives were murdered there. Now Zelensky is appealing directly to the Jewish world, and frankly, he has every right to do so. Zelensky is indeed angry, specifically at Israel. After getting off the phone with Israeli Prime Minister Bennett, Zelensky said that unlike groups of Jews he saw photographed at the Western Wall wrapped in a Ukrainian flag, Bennett does not seem to be wrapped in our flag. Zelensky continued and said, I spoke to the Prime Minister of Israel, and I'm telling you candidly, and this may sound a little insulting, but I do think I have to say it. Our relations are not bad, not bad at all, but relations are tested at times like these, at the hardest moments when help and support are needed. And I don't feel that he, Bennett, is wrapped in our flag. Now look, Prime Minister Bennett has definitely been hesitant to condemn Russia. And Israel has refused to send Ukraine military aid, such as missile defense systems. Israeli reporters in Ukraine interview political and military leaders, as well as the common Ukrainian on the street. Once the reporter identified as an Israeli, almost all those interviews say the same thing. Help us. Send us your Iron Dome defense systems. 
As an Israeli, I ask the same question. Iron Dome saves lives. Why aren't we sending Ukraine the system? The drama continued on Saturday when breaking news reported that Prime Minister Bennett was in Moscow. News media outlets all over the world aired footage of Bennett and Putin meeting. They met for no less than three hours, and you can be correct to assume it wasn't just negotiating a potential ceasefire. Why did Putin, who alone will decide when to fire and when to cease, agree or even invite Bennett to the Kremlin? And why would Bennett agree to meet and shake hands with a ruthless dictator? This we must try to understand, and of course, dig deep and look at the context. For the first time since the fall of the Soviet Union, Russia is engaging the West, which is led by the U.S., in a head-on confrontation. Russian President Putin, for his part, would love to see a new world order, and this is exactly what he is attempting to do. A world order that has a balance of power between the West and the East. Putin is, quote-unquote, playing this game globally, and Ukraine is but one area of confrontation. Not going into it now, but let me remind us that in his 20 years of power, Putin has already fought a war in Chechnya, in Georgia, and Crimea. In all three, Putin enforced his regime and created puppet leaders. Yes, men. In all three cases, the West made some noise, like boycotting the Winter Olympics held in Sochi, but that's it. Putin faced no real repercussions. Maybe Putin ventured the same would happen with Ukraine. Regardless, as of February 24th, when Russian troops invaded Ukraine in bulk, the Eastern and Western blocs have re-emerged, similar to the Cold War era. During the Cold War era, Israel was on the winning side, the West. And Israel still is, of course, in the Western camp. But Israel assesses the events and must develop a strategy. One that will consider three arenas. One, the global one. The second, the regional arena, that is the Middle East. And the third is the arena in which we faced our closest enemies, that is our bordering neighbors in the north and east, specifically Syria, Lebanon, and of course, Iran. And what does that have to do with the war in Ukraine? Well, the longer the war in Ukraine lasts with horrific carnage, the more the world was split into these two obvious camps, the pro-Putin dictatorial camp and the pro-West camp. It was what then we called on to side decisively with America and the West. No but, no sitting on the fence, no beating around the bush. Israel tried to explain that Israeli interests require maintaining open channels with Moscow and with Putin. But the U.S. most likely will shoot that down and demand Israel take a clear stand. And that stand won't just be an oral one. Israel could be one of the main providers of natural gas to Western Europe, becoming an alternative to the gas supply from Russia. As an anecdote, in his 20 years of power, Putin visited Israel only once. Guess when? After Israeli and American companies found vast amount of natural gas in the Mediterranean Sea, which of course is his competition. The second arena is the regional one. The war in Ukraine could directly influence the stability of some of the countries in the Middle East, particularly on those that rely heavily on the supply of agricultural produce, wheat in particular, from Ukraine and Russia. For example, Egypt is one of the world's biggest wheat buyers. It acquires the majority of its grain from Russia and Ukraine, which also supplies Egypt with corn. A lack of these supplies or even a spike in prices could cause instability in our neighboring poverty-stricken countries. 
This would add another layer to the security challenges faced by Israel. And now I come to the third arena, which takes place on Israel's northern and eastern front. The Hezbollah in Lebanon and the Assad regime in Syria are sworn enemies of Israel and are dedicated to Israel's eradication. Iran, the strongest enemy of Israel, has flooded Lebanon and Syria with weapons and terrorists to strike Israel once given the order to do so. Russia presides over these areas and is able to increase tensions or lessen them. In January, Russia's Minister of Defense announced that Russia and Syrian aircrafts have conducted a joint patrol in the sky of the Golan Heights, that is in Syria, the Syrian part of the Golan Heights, and that Moscow and Damascus intend to continue doing so. This is a clear message to Israel that Russia has the ability, if it chooses, to impede Israel's struggle against the Iranian axis in Syrian territory. This should also be seen as a step aimed at making it clear to Israel that from a Russian perspective, there's a risk in taking sides in the crisis between Russia and the West. As part of the Russian response against the United States allies, such as Israel, it is possible that Moscow could cut off the Russian-Israeli operational coordination now in Syria and try to thwart Israeli strikes in Syria using Russian air defense systems and interception aircrafts. Simultaneously, it is possible that Russia would refrain from restraining Iran and even encourage it to use its proxies, as I said, Hezbollah and the Syrian regime, not only against the American forces in Syria, but also against Israel. Taking these three arenas into serious consideration, the three I discussed, the global, the regional, and our neighboring enemies, Israel must have a well-thought-out strategy. Now, I wish I knew Putin well enough to fully understand why he was willing to have Bennett in the Kremlin at this very sensitive time. At the end of the day, the Israeli attempt to immediately cease fire will fall on deaf ears. Well, we do know at least one reason for Putin to meet Bennett. Putin demanded Israel not send any weapons to Ukraine, not attack weapons, such as the Tammuz missile that can strike the Russian tanks like they were ducks in a pond, and not even defensive weapons like the Iron Dome. This demand was made public by the Russians. A second demand of Putin was, don't strike a deal to sell natural gas to Western Europe. By the way, I don't know this. I'm just thinking out loud. Putin probably didn't choose to attack in the winter by chance. Supplying Western Europe with oil and gas gives them a nice leverage over Germany, Italy, Finland, Poland, and others. Putin may even be sending a message to Iran in meeting Bennett. As soon as the Russian invasion began, the Iranians saw an opportunity to break the sanction over their oil industry. The Iranians declared that if sanctions were lifted, they could supply much of the world's oil needs. You can be sure Putin didn't like that a bit. He may have even considered it a betrayal of Iran. You want to send a message to Iran? Invite the Israeli Prime Minister under the guise of ceasefire talks. For his part, Bennett would love nothing more than the media to cease fire. Even a temporary one or a humanitarian one. This would brand him and Israel for the first time in our history as a global power that mediates peace. But let's be realistic. That ain't happening. I obviously wasn't privy to the conversation. But if I'm Prime Minister Bennett, I attempt to achieve the following from Putin. One, a land corridor in Ukraine for refugees, civilians to escape the area of fighting to the neighboring countries. Among those refugees would be Jews, Israelis, Israelis, by the way, Arabs and Jews, and other non-Ukrainians that didn't leave in time. And of course, Ukrainians. 
Bennett is a religious Jew and strongly believes in the idea of saving lives. He also believes Jews should live in the Jewish homeland and would be happy to see Ukrainian Jews migrate to Israel. So again, if I'm Bennett, the second thing I may ask of Putin is to save President Zelensky. I will try to convince Putin that killing Zelensky would be a mistake vis-a-vis Russian interests. Zelensky is a democratic elected president. The war has created him into a hero. He is a David standing strong against the mighty Goliath. Killing him would be perceived in much of the world as a crime on humanity. Sorry to sound so disgusting when I say the following. Thousands of dead civilians will have less impact on the world than one dead Zelensky. Bennett would love nothing more than to convince Putin to spare Zelensky's life. As far as Israel's interests are concerned, Bennett absolutely wants to make sure that he maintains the strategic military coordination between Israel and Russia over the skies of Syria and other places in the Middle East. Israel needs freedom to act militarily in Syria. The Russians have kept Iranian and Hezbollah troops away from Israel's northern border. Putin and the Kremlin, for several years now, have given Israel the green light allowing the Israeli Defense Forces to operate in Russia-controlled skies over Syria against Iran and its proxies. It is in Israel's vital interest to maintain this green light. Israel must have the freedom of action if it is to foil the Iranian attempt to eradicate our Jewish homeland. I do not use the word eradicate lightly. In the last couple of weeks, strong voices of American and Iranian negotiators were heard from Vienna, where negotiating teams of both sides are attempting to reach an agreement on Iran and their nuclear weapons, and their attempt of nuclear weapons. At any given moment, the new nuclear deal could be signed. Reports leaking out of Vienna has Israel extremely worried that this deal is a farce. It is viewed as a surrender to the Iranian demands. Some in Israel say it is a deal giving away the entire store. While other Israelis say, as bad as a deal may be, it is better than no deal. If there's one person in this world that can really put a dent in the Iranian demands, it is Vladimir Putin. And Bennett knows that as well as anybody. Prime Minister Bennett and Israeli politicians have an interest in keeping good relations with Putin and Russia. But to what end? And how far? Once Putin has invaded a democratic Ukraine, and once Putin takes over that country, and if this war continues, Israel, as said, will need to be able to take a clear side, and that will not be a pro-Russia or pro-Putin side. To end, I just want to say a couple words about Volodymyr Zelensky. Putin wants his head, no doubt. And although he could have escaped, he did not. He didn't run. He didn't bow his head. He is not afraid to fight Russia. Dead or alive, and I very much hope alive, Zelensky has emerged as a hero and a role model. Thank you for listening to the Inside Israel podcast. You can access our podcast on www.insideisrael.fm. You can also access it on any one of the music players such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, Google, and more.